Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us tonight. Sorry for the minor uh, technology glitch right at the beginning. I trust the Lord will help us to get through our meeting successfully. I'd like to read from the Holy Scriptures tonight in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Galatians, chapter 6, if you have a Bible, uh, it'd be nice to turn to it and see that what we are reading is not merely our opinion, uh, but we are actually reading from the eternal, unchanging word of God. And so the epistle to the Galatians, this was written by the Apostle Paul and chapter six, and I'm going to read part of verse number 14. Galatians chapter six and verse number 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that again for you, maybe in a more modern version. It goes like this. Be it far from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to speak about these seven words that form the ending of our verse. They are the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Not far from where I live in Michigan is a little town called Albion, Michigan. And back in 1912, something happened in that town that is really quite remarkable. Uh, there was a man named George Bernard, and he was a gospel preacher. He was an evangelist, and he was at a very low period in his life. He had been holding some evangelistic meetings. And there were a number of young people who came to those meetings and they mocked Mr. Bernard and they made fun of him. And when those meetings were over, he was in a very low state in his Christian life. He was staying with friends in the city of Albion. And one day he took a pencil and he penned the first verse and the chorus of a hymn that is now uh, what we might call a standard. It is known by believers and loved by believers. It's actually known by many people, some who are not themselves Christians. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. When he wrote it, he went to the kitchen and he read it to the lady of the house. And she was so affected by the words of this hymn that she actually broke into tears. Do you know the words that George Bernard wrote? I'll, I'll read some of them for you. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For twas on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. And maybe some of you in your minds are just singing along with the chorus. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Well, I want to speak to you about the cross tonight. And I want to speak about this very interesting verse that we have read together. The apostle Paul writes and he says, be it far from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to think just for a minute about this little expression, be it far from me to boast. Because what Paul is saying is something that's very important 
to us in the gospel. You see, to boast is to lift up oneself. Usually we connect it with exaggeration and excessive pride. And, and most of us don't really like boasting, especially when it's done by other people. So it is the idea of lifting ourselves up for admiration. And Paul is saying, the last thing that I want to do as a representative of Jesus Christ is to lift up myself. Actually, what he wants to lift up, what he wants to exalt, the one he wants to hold up to the view of everyone as he presents the gospel is not himself, but Christ. And so you see, when we preach the gospel, when we evangelize, when we bring out the good news of salvation, we're not preaching about ourselves. We're attempting to lift up Christ. And I love the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And again, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified. I hope that's a help to everyone who is watching. We're not here to promote a religion. We're not here to somehow teach a new philosophy that will, uh, that will reflect uh, glory or a claim to ourselves. We're not here to talk about ourselves at all. We're here to lift up Christ. I love the words of Stuart Townend, who wrote a very famous hymn called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And one of those verses ties in perfectly with what I'm thinking tonight. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And so that is our goal tonight in these few minutes that we're together to say something about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have four things I want to say about the cross tonight. They're very simple. I'm aware that there are even children who are watching, and it's my goal to keep the gospel as it should be, simple and very, very clear. I want to talk, first of all, about the cross as a place of suffering. I know that may seem like a very difficult place to begin when talking about the cross, but I think it's absolutely necessary. Unfortunately, we live in a world that attempts to sanitize some very important things. If there are things that make us uncomfortable, we look away. If there are things that confront our sin and our pride, we, we deflect the subject. But when I look at the cross, I must confront this very important fact, that the cross primarily and of first importance is a place where Jesus suffered and died. You know, I want to tell you that the cross is not simply some sentimental symbol. I'm not here to criticize people who wear the cross perhaps as a piece of jewelry or anything like that. That's not my intention tonight. But I want to make sure that we understand the real meaning, the real impact, the true suffering of the cross. You know, the Bible speaks in very stark realities. It speaks about the torment of people who die without Christ. It tells us about a man who is tormented in the flames of hell. The Lord Jesus uh, tells us about people who are suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. But most of all, what we come to talk about in the gospel is this, 
We come to preach a suffering Christ. We come to tell you about a cross that was marked by the deepest agony. I want you to think about what the scripture says about what the Lord Jesus endured at the cross. I am reading now from the words of Psalm 22. He said, I am poured out like water and my bones are all out of joint. My heart is dried up like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws and God has laid me in the dust of death. Again, I turn to the words of Isaiah 53. These are words that mean a great deal to every child of God, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. When I come to the New Testament, I discover in the words of Peter, Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And rather than gild the cross with some sentimental or romantic covering that evades its reality. Let me point out that the cross was a place of dark suffering, not merely externally, but we remember that the scripture tells us about the terrible agony of his soul. Now, perhaps you uh, might be saying to yourself, well, if you're going to begin with a cross of suffering, then maybe you ought to tell us why that suffering was required. And I think it's very important to understand this. There are many who have diminished the cross by claiming that the Lord Jesus was a martyr. They have sought to explain the cross as merely an example of someone who was empathetic toward others. Let me be very clear tonight that the problem that required the suffering of Calvary was the problem of our sin. Remember what we read in Isaiah 53? He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The problem is really the problem of our sin. And the fact that our sin demands justice and the judgment of God. And so I understand that wherever sin is found, it is also associated with suffering. Look at our world tonight. What is the cause of the suffering in this world? Uh, this world is not the world that God created. You can look at the opening chapters of our Bible. And by the way, I believe that they reflect absolute historical truth. I love the words that an older preacher said one time in my hearing. He said, if you cannot believe what God says about where you came from, you will never believe what God says about where we are going. And I believe that the creation accounts are a substantial part of the gospel that we preach. God made us in his own image. And as such, we are accountable and responsible to him. And the difficulty is simply this, that we have rebelled and disobeyed our creator. And as such, we have a world tonight that is filled with all sorts of suffering and all sorts of sin. The question then may arise then, if the Lord Jesus is the kind of man that you say he is, why is he suffering for sin? I'm glad you asked that question. If you were to ask me about the thieves that died on either side of the Lord Jesus, I think the answer is very evident. In fact, there was one of them who said, what we're getting is what we actually deserve. 
in the lovely words of the old King James Version, he said, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. No one has any difficulty understanding the fate of two thieves who suffered on their respective crosses. The question tonight really is, if the cross is a place of such dark suffering, if it is a place where God's wrath was revealed and poured out, what sin was Jesus suffering for? I will tell you that Orthodox Christianity demands that we have a sinless Christ. Perhaps the theological word for that is that he is impeccable. It is not merely that he chose not to sin, but such was his holy character that he was utterly incapable of sin. And again, I return to my question, if he is spotless and innocent and holy and pure, what sin, whose sin is he actually suffering for? That brings me really to the second thing that I want to talk about when it comes to the cross, because the cross is not only a place of suffering, and indeed it is, but I want you to think about the cross as a place of substitution. Now, I think we're all relatively familiar with the word substitution or substitute, because when we were schoolboys, when the regular teacher, the math teacher, couldn't appear, a substitute appeared. The school district sent a lady or a man to fill in the role and the place of the absent person. We all understand what that means. I'd like to express tonight the great truth that the reason that the cross was a place of suffering for the Lord Jesus was because the sin that he was bearing, the judgment that fell so fully on him, he was doing it on behalf of and as a substitute for guilty sinners. I have to tell you a wonderful story. Some of you will remember that there was a president of the United States between World War uh, I and World War II, um, uh, or actually after World War II, following Franklin Roosevelt, a man named Harry Truman. And um, I don't remember Harry Truman. I'm, I'm too young. Uh, but... Um, he, the, there was an event in Harry Truman's life that you may not have heard about. Um, there was actually an assassination attempt on Harry Truman. And um, he was surrounded by secret service men. Uh, but as I understand the story, a man burst through and pointed a gun at him and he fired at the president. Just as that gun was produced and pointed at the president, one of those secret service men did a very, very brave thing. You're probably way ahead of me in this story, but he did exactly what he was trained to do. You know what he did? He threw himself in harm's way. He threw himself between the assassin and President Harry Truman. Now, the story has a sad part to it because actually the bullet hit that Secret Service man and he, he died. He yielded his life in the defense of the president of the United States. That's not really the reason I'm telling you the story. I'm actually telling you the story because of what Harry Truman said at that man's funeral. President of the United States came to his funeral. And in his eulogy of that brave uh, policeman, that brave officer that sacrificed his life, this is what Harry Truman said. He said, I cannot tell you 
what it feels like to know that a man has died for me. I don't mean to um, try and improve on Harry Truman's words, but I want to tell you that every person who is a child of God, every person who is truly born again, understands a little of what it feels like to know that there is someone who has died for them. That's what the cross is all about. That's why the cross is so precious to me personally. This is why the cross is what we uphold before lost sinners, because it is the place where the sinless substitute suffered and died in our place. You know, there's a hymn that we sing in the gospel. I know because of COVID, we're not singing the way we normally do. But this is one of my favorite gospel hymns written by a woman, Amelia Hull. Oh, why was he there as the bearer of sin? If on Jesus thy guilt was not laid, or if why from his side flowed that sin-cleansing blood, if his dying thy debt has not paid. Dear friend, tonight, please listen very carefully. The cross was a place of infinite suffering. The cross was a place of personal substitution. I like the words again of Peter, who his own self bear well, I'm going to personalize it. Do you mind that? Who his own self bear my sin in his own body on the tree. I well remember the night. It's been almost 60 years ago when, as a young man, I discovered that there was someone who died for me. And I simply drank in that truth and accepted the Savior as my personal substitute. And so the cross was a place of suffering. The cross was a place of substitution. Let me just say something briefly about my third point, and it is this. The cross was a place of great satisfaction. You know, I live in a house that is now, my wife and I, live in a home that is 101 years old. That's an old house. And uh, just for those of you doubters out there, I do not remember when it was built although I have lived in it for uh, a good percentage of its history. There's something I know about old houses. Some of my friends have brand new houses, and um, there are times that I envy them a little tiny bit. But uh, one thing you know about an old house is the work is never finished. And uh, it's, you know, how time just goes by and you put a new roof on or you paint or you do improvements. But before a few years are come and gone, you have to go back and do it again. Nothing in this world is ever truly finished. So I'm going to ask you a question tonight. It's a very important question. How do we know that the suffering and the substitution of the cross is really enough? How will we know if God is really satisfied? You know, the answer to that is so very simple. It is this, that God has raised him from the dead. That is God's seal of approval. It is God looking at the cross and all that was done there. And God says, I love what you did. Your work is completely finished. And as a result, I'm going to hurl that stone away that covers that cold Judean grave. 
And on that Sunday morning, the first day of the week, Jesus Christ arose. And tonight, we're here to preach a living Savior. I'm so glad that God is satisfied. I want to ask you a question tonight. I know these Zoom meetings are a little bit impersonal. And I cannot wait until we can preach as we customarily do. I like looking people in the eye when I preach the gospel. But I'm reminded of a gospel track that I saw many, many years ago. I think it's a track that's probably over a hundred years old. The title of it is striking. It just says this, God is satisfied. Are you? Let, let me present that question as personally as I can with this technology. God is satisfied with the suffering. God is satisfied with the substitution. God is satisfied with his son. The debt is paid. All that justice requires has been fully met. The wrath of God for our sin has been poured out upon Christ. And God is willing to offer salvation and shelter beneath that cross for all who will depend on him. Let me ask you again. God is satisfied. Are you satisfied with the cross tonight? The fourth one, and with this I'll close. The cross is a place of dark suffering. The cross is the place of substitution as the Lord Jesus died for sinners. And it is the place of God's satisfaction. God is fully and completely, irrevocably and eternally satisfied with the work of his son. But I want to just say this, the cross is a place of salvation. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I was speaking a few minutes ago about the two thieves that were at the cross. And whenever I preach about those two thieves, I like to preach about both of them. Because there was a man who was at the cross and he saw the Lord Jesus. He saw the suffering that he endured. But you know something, that, that man, so far as we know, was, was never saved. It is a warning that we must never presume that familiarity with the name of Christ and that familiarity with the historical events of the cross are somehow adequate to find forgiveness and eternal life. But I love to tell the story of the other thief, the man who began the day by cursing Christ and, and belittling him and his work. But a man who looked at the, at the man on the middle cross and heard his cries, who witnessed his sufferings, and in a burst of insight understood that the Lord Jesus was actually dying for him. And you'll remember his words. They're words that Christians just treasure in their hearts. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And I like the words of the hymn that we sing so often. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. I wonder if you have ever found satisfaction and salvation in the cross. It's available to you tonight. We have a living Savior. A Savior who stands at the heart's door of every man and every woman and every child. And what he is longing for tonight is that you would very simply receive him.
We're not here to promote a religion. We're not here, as I have said already, to promote ourselves. We are here to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to lift him up. Oh, it's so wonderful that he is the lifted up one. God lifted him up at Calvary. And God lifted him up when he raised him from the dead. And it's our great honor tonight to lift him up as the savior of sinners. And so we say like Paul, God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord help you to understand the reality of the sufferings that he bore, to understand the reality of the substitution that he made. You know, Christians love to thank him forever dying in their place. We often refer to him in the words of the apostle, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To understand that God is satisfied and that you can be satisfied as well. And to discover in that old rugged cross, the place of salvation and forgiveness and peace with God and eternal joy. May God help you to receive him and to cling. In the words of, uh, of George Bernard, cling to that old rugged cross. May the Lord help you to trust him and find salvation tonight.